Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to Rugged Theology. I am your host, Adam Diamond, and this is another part of our Tulip series. Today we are doing I for Irresistible Grace. And today on Sesame Street, we have David Drover. This is Sesame Street. <laughs> it's it is brought now. to you by the letter I. And we also have Mr. Stephen Da. Hey, hello. All right, guys. So this has been a great series. Um, we've gotten some feedback from people who have been enjoying this. Um, and uh, Dave, even your brother has been going back and forth with us a bit. Yeah, shout out. Yeah, so that's great. If you tune in, I, probably I'm pretty we have listeners, to be honest with you. So I apologize to anyone listening. Um, I have a bit of a raspy throat today. It is not COVID, uh, but uh, I am trying my best to get through this. Uh, I have some nice coffee with me. I don't know if that's going to help. Maybe I should put some honey in it. Honey, can you get me some honey? Uh. <laughs> and the silence tells you everything you need to know about how much I am appreciated in my workplace. Channel? All right, guys, so Irresistible Grace is our eye today. So let's get right into it. Um, help, me, help me work through this. Like, What is Irresistible Grace and what isn't Irresistible Grace? Okay, I think the first thing, it, it, it can be a misleading here. And I mean, this is like all of the ones we've dealt with so far because I end up you know, nuancing absolutely everything we've gone through. Like a lot of the other points, Irresistible Grace doesn't quite mean what you could imagine it to mean. It doesn't mean that there is no way whatsoever that you could ever resist the grace of God. It's, it, it's the statement that you cannot effectively fight the, the grace of God. You are not capable of overcoming God's desire to save you if you are, in fact, one of God's elect. That would be the point. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that you can't actually have opposition to what God is doing, or you can't uh, push back, or that you can't fight it. It means that if you fight with God's grace, you will lose. Even as a progressing Christian, I'm not always in tune with God's will, right? I mean, I have, I've had arguments with God where I'm like, this is not what I want, or this is not what I signed up for, or even what are you doing? Because I don't get it right now. Right. Now, the ultimate difference is going to be between whether or not uh, ultimately your opposition to what God is doing, your unwillingness to follow God is um, something that overcomes God's will for you, or whether it's honestly whatever opposition you've had to God is within God's will and God is handling it. It's kind of a, 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 a it's kind of more of an academic question there than anything else. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, I mean, this is one of the ones that I've really struggled with. Actually, was irresistible because again, I felt like it took that choice away from me that I had no choice whatsoever. That if I was one of the elect, then I was going to be saved regardless of whether I wanted to be or not. Well, and, and again, that's going to be kind of why I have the nuance there. It's not that you lack a choice. It's that your choice will eventually go to the right end as God has it. Mm -hmm. I, I believe you put it once, um, and you know, I apologize to our listeners, but if you're going to choose between chocolate milk or diarrhea... As one to drink. Oh my! You're going to. <laughs> but you're going, I really hope you're choosing chocolate. You're milk. going to choose chocolate milk, but in, in in all sense of the word, like if if is ir, if irresistible grace is true, I mean that that's basically your choice between the Almighty, Holy, Righteous God who loves you and is working all things according to His will for good. 
or your sin, which is just Absolute everything evil. Evil and destructive and honestly ugly, ultimately speaking, and corruption, corrupting everything around it, yes. Like diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> but no, right? It's, it's it's a choice. It might not be, you know, much of a choice. It's not like, you know, sin is on equal grounds with God where you're like, yeah, this is a fair choice. No, it's not meant to be a fair choice. Right. Sin shouldn't be in any comparison at all to a holy, righteous, loving God. And well, I think this too, this like an important part of all this is to connect it actually back to what we talked about when we talked about total depravity. Um, because so much of this, right, it's we're talking about choosing and, and one, you know, versus the other, yet that's kind of the importance of looking at this as a system because without realizing that our hearts are totally depraved, you know, like from, I guess, the irresistible grace side of it, yes, of course we would choose God because God is great, but if we're so blind that we can't see that or understand that and we are enslaved by our sin, you know, we're going to choose sin every time. That's kind of the state of, you know, total depravity mm-hmm. is that our right. affections, our heart, it, it, it runs towards the sin. But the idea of irresistible grace is that when God does a work in us, the, the theological word I'm sure we'll dive into, regenerates us. Right. Um, that's when our hearts change, our affections, they're changed, and then we choose, not that we, again, not that we don't have a choice, we fully willingly choose, but our affections have changed. Mm-hmm. Right. So instead of choosing the sin that we once desired and once loved, that was destructive, that we, we now instead have affection for and choose and run to Christ, because that, again, it's who we have affection for. It's right. what we want. It's what we desire. It's what we choose. Uh, it, I mean, it comes down to a big difference between the Armenian perspective and the Calvinist perspective on what's called the order of salvation, or mm-hmm. because everything sounds better in Latin, the ordo salutis. Uh, a, uh, from my position, or from the Calvinistic position, we would say that regeneration precedes our salvation. And uh, from the other end, it would be that regeneration comes after our salvation. Mm-hmm. Or just to use another word, regeneration before faith, right? or faith before regeneration. Right. And uh, our, our contention would be that faith is a result of, rete- of regeneration, mm-hmm. not the cause of regeneration. Mm-hmm. And I guess just to really, I mean, to really quickly kind of talk, I mean, I, I don't know if this is going to be super helpful, but diving into what regeneration is, we often talk about this as Christians use this language of being born again. Yeah. Um, that, that heart change of affections, that, that, that process, um, that's what we mean by regeneration. Right. Is that, is that idea of being born again, as Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, um, when he's talking with Nicodemus, you know, Ezekiel 36 or other ones that we can go into, you know, right. I'm sure we'll get there in a little bit, but yeah, yeah, we'll get there. But I mean, that regeneration thing is a huge, you know, it makes a big difference. It does. Um, whether God is one solely responsible for your mm-hmm. salvation or do we have a choice where, you know, again, God has allowed us so much grace that we are able to at least somewhat choose between him or our own sin. Right. And of course, at this point, I'm going to have to point out at the objective value of sin compared to God. I mean, the fact is, in order for us to have an equal choice between sin and God, we would have to see them as equal, which would be delusional, to mm-hmm. say the least. I mean, sin is not valuable. No, it's, it's like the idea, like, you know, I'll see you in hell, but I'll be partying my whole way there or something, right? Like, hell's gonna be one great big party. I'm like, We're, that's not hell. <laughs> and it's unfortunately not hell. 
either. I mean, it's it, hell is a lot, a great deal worse than we could ever imagine. Right. I mean, it's not going to be a big party. It's you're getting the full unmitigated wrath of God without any semblance of grace. And we'll get, we can get into it later, but not even common grace. Right. All right, guys. So, I mean, I think that's a great definition for us to start off with, with uh, irresistible grace and even a bit of regeneration. But can we find this in scripture? Uh, I would say unequivocally, yes. I um, think so. Uh, I mean, my favorite one is going to be in John chapter 6, uh, where you know Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But he continues. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So, And, and it'll go down even further. Uh, um, let me see. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And one of my favorites is actually Acts thirteen forty-eight. It's really hard to deal with if you believe that you everyone has a choice, because it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That's hard to argue against. Mm -hmm. And too, I, I do want to just jump in there a little bit too, Adam. And I know this isn't what you mean, but I just want to make sure it's clear for the for the listeners too. Because um, again, we are saying we're not saying that no, like in this theological system, that nobody has a choice. What we're talking about is is what that choice looks like, right? Right? Because what we're what we're believing and what we're saying and kind of what you're saying there, Adam, is that basically. Our choice in choosing, you know, God or sin, it's going to be affected by our nature. Right. Right? It's it's going to be affected either by the fact that we are depraved and, and slaves to our sin, um, or it's going to be affected by the fact that we've been regenerated by the Spirit. We've been elected. We've been appointed, as Adam kind of just read out and and Acts. And become equally slaves to righteousness, which exactly. is the terms that Romans uses. Yep. Yeah. Still fully choosing and, and fully wanting that choice, it's just... You know, in, in the same way where we are influenced in our day-to-day -day decisions, you know, we are influenced in this decision as well. No, it's not a say completely neutral or completely free choice. Mm -hmm. um, so it's more about the nature of choice that we're talking about right. more so than the fact that they're. Because a lot of people, I feel like, do kind of make that claim. Well, if you're a Calvinist, you don't really think we have a choice. Well, no, we we do think you have a choice. It's just we yeah. think that choice is affected. By a lot of other things. Well, and I mean, it, it's a it's a much lesser analogy, but I think of the fact that, like, I am a traditional Newfoundlander. I'm from the Bay. I, you know, and, and until I was, like, in my 20s, I'd never really left Newfoundland for appreciable periods of time, at least that, that I remember. And I, I remember having going to Asia and learning about this thing called sushi, which disgusted me. I mean, the idea of eating <laughs> raw fish was disgusting. It's still disgusting to me. Yeah, yeah. That's because <laughs> you haven't been regenerated as normal people. <laughs> uh, and, but I mean, as, as I started to try the stuff and I gained a taste for it, I began to recognize this is actually really good stuff. And, you know, it's on, uh, on some days when I'm, you know, feeling like I want to have something good to eat and I actually have some, uh, mon some extra money, I will go get sushi because I choose, but I actively choose it now. Though what was once something that I now find uh, that I now find sweet, I once found disgusting. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like kids too. I mean, if you were to ask Raylan if she wanted ice cream for breakfast, she would unequivocally say yes. Right, Absolutely. that's her desires. She's not mature enough to realize that it's not beneficial. 
But I'm sure as she grows, I mean, now, okay, I think all of us were like some ice cream for breakfast at some point, but we know as adults that that's not good. Right. Right. We can't just keep having ice cream again and again and again and expect not to have any repercussions from it. So we know we need to have a healthy breakfast. But if you're unregenerate, if you're in your sin, you're not aware that, you know, that, you know, ice cream, which feels good, it tastes good, it, it has negative effects. Yeah. And of course, it's actually much worse than that because it would be like, uh, I don't know, eating the ice cream and finding out later that actually it's quite disgusting stuff. Um, I mean, it's the... It's, I don't think we have a real equivalent to it because sin really is a disgusting thing. It's not a good thing. Um, this is one of the reasons why Paul talks about, you know, the, the, though becoming a slave to righteousness as, as people who have become obedient to the heart from the heart because they learn to have a distaste for sin and a taste for righteousness. Um, I mean, which tastes more, much more to say, let's say like a steak, right? You know I mean, or like steak and eggs for breakfast, as opposed to ice cream or right. maybe a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. I don't know, but something better than ice cream. Well, <laughs> and, and I mean, to be honest, I, uh, I, to let a, let a little bit of a cat out of the bag, I don't like ice cream very much. So a steak and, a steak and eggs sounds much better than, uh, than an ice cream to me. For what about gelato? Uh, can't comment, really haven't tried it much. Man, oh man. Okay, okay, no, you can call, no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say, you can culture me about sushi, and I'll culture you about uh, gelato, but I'm not signing up for that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of gets me to the, my point, though, like, when you would have to have your eyes opened to what the values are of something like that, mm -hmm. to be actually willing to even try it. Yeah, so if anybody's tuning in, you can you can pray for Adam, that he would have his eyes opened. To sushi. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, again, that this is the, an analogy. I mean, it doesn't go everywhere. The, but the fact is, when it comes to something much more important, like, well, the righteousness of God versus our death in sin, I mean, it, it is clear that one of those is better, but it's only clear if you have your eyes opened to who God is. And that's not an uncommon thing in Scripture either. No. I mean, Jesus even quotes Scripture in saying, no, your eyes are hardened or you're blinded. Or, you know, their ears have been deafened lest they hear and they repent. I mean, right. that's quoted by Jesus. Um, we also have Acts 16, verse 14, where it says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, I think. Thyatira. Thyatira. Uh, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Right. I mean, the Lord physically, or not physically, well, he, he actually opened her heart. It was a direct action by God to open her heart, at and, least according to Acts. And she had nothing to do with it. Right. Right. That God, God is the one that grabbed her attention and yeah. turned her affections towards him. Now, I mean, to be fair, there are some people who are going to say that that's just uh, a, a term of art within Acts. I mean, uh, when we say, when we, and that uh, when we read Acts, we shouldn't, you know, take too much in that. But the fact is, it, this, it does seem to be a standard understanding throughout Scripture. Another one, just kind of on that note, I mean, Ezekiel 36, I've got it open here. If you start in verse 24, I'll read out a few verses, um, sure. because, I mean, I also want to point out a couple of things in it. So starting in verse 24, this is God, you know, um, speaking to, to Israel. It says in verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, then go, go down to 24, 
I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you with clean water with clean water on you, or sorry, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And, I mean, it, it keeps going, but... Right. Notice how many times in those few verses, a couple things. One is that it, God says, you know, he's going to take out, you know, he's going to cleanse us with water. Right. And by the spirit, he's going to take out our heart of stone, replace the heart of flesh. Um, and that he's going to cause us to walk in his statutes or, or is, right. I mean, speaking to Israel, but prophecy. And I'm going to connect this to New Testament yeah. in a second. Um, but also notice how many times it's, I will, right. I will, I will. I will, this is God saying, I'm going to do all this. Right. It's not left to be, you know, debated or whatever you have. And just for, for anybody, for all of you out there, too, the, the connection I'm going to draw here is to John chapter 3, um, once I turn to it quickly. Hmm. Cue Jeopardy music. Do, 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 Almost do, there. Do, 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 there we go. Do, do. <laughs> so, so in John chapter 3, when, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is asking him questions, and Jesus is, um, you know, Nicodemus comes to him, and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God's with him. And then Jesus says that unless somebody's born again, they can't see the kingdom of God. Um, and, you know, Nicodemus just confused. He's like, how can this be? Um, and he's thinking purely physical. And Jesus says again, you know, unless one is born of water, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right. So notice those, a couple of connections there. There's the direct mention of water and spirit, as we saw before, and also this idea of, of being born again, which I think connects with that idea of, you know, yeah. we are being given new life. We're being given a new heart. We are, yeah, I mean. Yeah. I think it's, it's important sometimes to recognize that the language that we see in the New Testament is something that is usually built up in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. when, Je when Jesus is referring to things, he's not just referring to, you know, how we would see it. He's actually, he's usually talking to Jewish people, and so they would have been clear about what the, the Old Testament would, well, what we call the Old Testament would have said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no one is, you know, going to heaven kicking and screaming. No. This is not something that no one wants. Right. And no, and ultimately speaking, no one will go, be able to go to hell and say, I don't deserve this. No, I mean, that's absolutely fair. You, you come to realize how sinful you are, how separate you are from God, how much you have rebelled against right. God. And, you know, when you come face to face with your creator and you realize where you actually stand and that your pride has nothing to do with it, right. what you've accomplished in this life has nothing to do with it, right. and all has to do with your heart and where you place your faith, mm -hmm. you, you can't say, I don't deserve this. Which is kind of hard to hard to imagine, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is going to be a situation where God's justice and truth are going to be clear to all. I mean, it's not going to be a situation where we, I don't know, uh, some people are going to be like, oh, I don't know, that guy shouldn't have gone to hell, he's a nice guy. No. It, everything will be known. Mm -hmm. 
Um, similarly, uh, nobody's in heaven is going to be able to say that I absolutely deserve this. Because again, as we're saying, as we've been saying through all of these points, the point is that God is the central actor in our salvation. Absolutely. Um, I got another thing here on, uh, actually, I got got questions, and it's got a lot of great information on this. <laughs> uh, but another misconception, you brought this up earlier, Steve, was that the Holy Spirit cannot be resisted at all. Um, but it says, this is not what doctrine teaches. Um, God's grace can be resisted, and the Holy Spirit's influence can be resisted even by one of the elect. However, the doctrine does correctly recognize that the Holy Spirit can overcome all such resistance, and he will draw the elect with an irresistible grace that makes them want to come to God and helps them to understand the gospel so they can and will believe it. Right. When we, and I mean, this goes back to something that we were de- dealing with when you, we dealt with the topic of God can't. I, I would agree that there are some things that God can't do, but they're all things about moral in, inability. Um, you know, God can't lie. God can't sin. God can't uh, deny himself. God can't. Those are things that God can't do. But one of the, uh, another, uh, but there, there is another one. God can't be stopped by humans. And that, that's like, again, I brought this up before, and this goes, again, all the tulip goes together the unconditional election, the limited atonement, total depravity, it all works together. But if God can lose, you know, fail to save someone who he wants to save, that means someone has power outside of God right. or over God. And it means that Satan has that victory over God in that. The last or, time I checked, Jesus said, it is finished. Like, yeah. you know, there was no, like, Satan was defeated, sin was defeated, death was defeated. And you can't thwart God. Right? Like, I, I just, like, if God wants to accomplish something, again, I, I preached through Jonah. Yep. Right? And <laughs> there was nothing Jonah could do. I mean, everything that Jonah tried, God basically had, you know, anticipated it and was like, no, nope, I'm yeah. going to use this for my good. I'm going to use that for my good. Even being swallowed by the fish, basically, you know, probably helped his testimony because his skin was bleached, and these people wish worship the fish god. I mean, right. that's not a coincidence. No, and, and I mean that's going to be the ultimate problem that you're going to run into when it comes to what we're talking about. When we're talking about God, we are not talking about a a, a slightly more powerful human. No, nope. we are not talking about a superhero. We are not talking about Thor or Odin, or Zeus, or any of the other pantheon of uh, vaguely analogous humans that, you know, are just slightly more powerful. To quote Captain America very quick, ma'am, there's only one God, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Absolutely. I love it. But of course, that's, but again, there's a category error here, because when we're talking about God, we're talking about the progenitor of intelligence itself. You're not smarter than him. It, nope. the, the ground of all power, so you are not more powerful than him. Mm-hmm. The ground of all love, so you are not more loving than him. I can remember a C.S. Lewis analogy. Basically, when you argue with God, it's like you're sitting, it's like you're sitting on a tree branch, and you're arguing with the one who put the branch underneath you, yeah. right, who created that branch. Mm-hmm. Right, you're arguing with the very tree itself. Yeah, who, that's keeping you safe. Who get you're arguing with the one who gave you the ability to argue. Right. And to begin with, you Isn't weren't that also in the end of Jonah with the big old tree. Yeah, you did nothing to. Yeah, like, <laughs> Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Yes, I do. He's like, you did nothing for this, and it's like. Right. <laughs> but I mean, it's actually even worse than that. You are uh, when you try to argue the truth against God, 
you are arguing against truth itself. Mm -hmm. And you think you can win. Yeah. You opening your mouth proves you're wrong. And uh, yeah, so it's not that we don't have a choice, guys, if you're listening, and, and girls. Um, it's that the, the choice just doesn't compare. Right. When, when your heart is awakened, when it's made alive to the truth of the gospel, to who Jesus is, to the glory of who God is himself, there's, there's no contest. Absolutely. Right? It's like you're choosing between, and I'll say it again, between diarrhea or chocolate milk. Or, I mean, even uh, the, the uh, people who are in love with someone. I mean, you don't have to be told you must go out on a date with this person. Mm-hmm. Y- you you want to. Yeah. Or, I mean, even just to use the, the imagery that Jesus would use in John chapter 8 when he talks about, you know, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Yeah. You know, we, we're, you're either a slave and that's going to rule your life and affect what you do, or you're going to be set free from that. Right. And when you're set free by the sun, you, you run to the sun. You, yeah. Because yeah. nothing is stopping you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great illustration, too. About, I mean, because again, that's common imagery in the Bible that you're a slave to your sin, right. which means sin is your master. Right. doesn't mean that you have power over your master. You're the slave. Right. You are not in the position of power there. If we want to talk about, you know, Absolutely. what society talks about of being in positions of power, we are all slaves to sin outside of Christ. And of course, it's also, again, important to recognize that these are not equal masters either. No. It's not like, you know, God and the devil are playing cards for the souls of humanity as if they're equal equal level things god is actually in control Mm -hmm. satan is a pissant rebel he's nothing more yeah jesus doesn't say if the son wants to set you free then you might be released Uh, you can possibly be released it's if the son sets you free you are free indeed uh all of the father gives me uh might possibly come to me no all that the father Mm -hmm. gives me will come to me Mm-hmm. And you can take yourself out of the Father's hand. No, the, nothing can take those whom the yeah. Father gives out of His hand. I guess. I guess the point uh, ultimately is you are not strong enough to overcome the love of God. Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing thing. That all of my sin, all of my rebellion, all of my selfishness. Because again, I'm I'm regenerate, but I'm still being conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah. I'm still being made more like him. But none of that will get in the way of what he's doing in my life. Absolutely. There's a meme that was going around on the internet for a while that I kind of liked. I don't know who actually said it originally, but it was it was really good. Uh, you think that God, and I, I'm going to paraphrase because I, I don't know per se, you think that you have uh, ruined your life beyond all redemption. You think that you cannot possibly be loved by God. You cannot possibly be saved. You, my friend, are not that powerful. Mm. And on that note, I think that's a great way to end this podcast. I hope this has given you a new insight to what irresistible grace, and it's not that you don't have a choice. It's that there's just not much of a choice when it comes down to it. Uh, we believe that God is in fully control of our salvation, that he is the one behind it all. He is the one orchestrating it all. And that he deserves the glory for it all. Absolutely. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, catch us again next week when we'll finish off this series with P for Perseverance of the Saints. Thanks again, guys. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, 
please visit us at www.mile1mission.ca.